morning's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe also we shall live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again, and that death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God, who those have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no more dominion, no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The Lord will bless the reading of his word. We're back to topic that we've been considering this year through the winter and into the spring, the book of Romans. <clears throat> and the topic of the book of Romans, you remember what it is, it's the gospel of God. We have noted that the gospel is not an argument or a conviction or a philosophy or a worldview. It's not a political ideology. It's not something you identify with as part of one group against any other group. Uh, Romans will make the argument that the gospel is power, the gospel is life, and then we'll outline what the gospel is. We noted as well, and this should be liberating to you, unfortunately in our world, uh, we're told that everything is about you, from uh, you know fashion to your car to whatever it might be, um, whatever hotel you're booking, it's all about you all the time, uh, which on a day-to-day basis can seem like something, but when you ask the deeper question, it actually becomes quite depressing. The gospel is not going to uh, sell itself to you in such a way. The gospel is not first about you. It exists apart from you. It's bigger than you are. It's more. It's beyond. It's transcendent. It exists, as we say, without you and apart from you. But it is for you. It is power and life. 
The gospel, and again, in contrast to how many things are marketed in our world today, anybody have the Apple Watch? Don't raise your hand if you do, because you'll, everybody, you'll be just embarrassed. It's out this week and sold out now. Now we have to have a watch, and you won't see people looking at their phones anymore. They'll be looking at their watch and then looking at their phone and wondering how to make it all work. <laughs> because it's about you. You can personalize everything and have everything you want. And um, The gospel is is not first about you, and it's also not first about now, the most recent or relevant. Because you know, of course, it has to be this way, right? And I'm, I'm part of it. Trust me. I, I, I'm actually thankful for my phone, and I think of things that I used to have to have that I don't have to have now. This, you know, whether it's a, a, a camera. How do they sell cameras that don't have big lenses anymore? I don't know. Um, whatever else it is, I can listen to. I, I listened to a Calgary Flames game through my phone the other day because not that I like Calgary, but I was just hoping that LA would miss the playoffs. Uh, this thing can do so many things. I was filming my kids at, at an ultimate tournament yesterday with this thing. I, I'm grateful, but this thing is built to for me to hate it in about a year. That's how it's marketed. That's how it's sold. That it's about now. And if it's not now, I mean, the person who has the you, you, actually in this room. You'd be a hero, the person who has the oldest phone, because then you'd be like, good for you. You, you stayed the course. Is that you, Ann? Bart? Bart's got the oldest phone? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I see a flip phone back there. <laughs> the gospel is not going to try to market itself to you in, in such a way. It's not about now, firstly. It exists now, right now, the gospel, power and life. But it is, by its very nature, always new. But not current as a trend or a fashion. The gospel of God concerns, firstly, Jesus Christ. In Jesus, humanity and divinity come together. This is the Christian contention. In Jesus, divinity and humanity come together. The gospel is the declaration that God has identified with humanity and said yes, not no. It's an important thing to remember in religious circles because religion often presents itself as if God has said no to humanity, but there would be no Jesus Christ were that the case. Jesus is God's yes to humanity, and we contend that we can say yes to God in Jesus Christ. The goal of human life is not death, which is what is carried in our culture today, including why we want some of these most recent fashions or trends or the best thing or the nicest trip, because one day we will die. So um, gather ye rosebuds while ye may. But the goal of human life in Christian thinking is not death. That's not the end but resurrection. Just as I say that, it's completely different. If the gospel is true, now this is something that is a good reminder to us in church culture as well. If the gospel is true, then any anxiety over its victory is unnecessary. Can I say that to you again? Can you tell this to some really religious, uh, frightened people in your life? If the gospel is true, then any anxiety over its victory is unnecessary. So the first three chapters of Romans begin to introduce the gospel. 
coming at it at first by this introduction, chapter 1, and then a look at, in a sense, its counter, the wrath of God. The wrath of God is revealed against, and you get in the early part of Romans, against plain old sin, self-focus, the deification of appetite. So that's our sin, you know, just the things we want. In this text, it's presenting your body to, to just your passions. So the, the wrath of God is revealed against that, which is the way to say, if you look in the early chapters of Romans, if you give yourself to those things, they will lead ultimately to destruction and death, not resurrection. And then there's a reminder, as you know, good religious people say, yes, those terrible sinners in the world. Then, of course, Romans outlines, yeah, but if you decide to, to deal with sin by, by means of religion, the wrath of God is revealed against that as well. It's just the other side of the same coin. So rather than giving yourself over to the passions, you decide, I'm going I'm to battle them, and that's my religious identity. And you look down upon other people, perhaps. There's a reminder in Romans that there is no such thing as human righteousness. So it doesn't work to go this way, but it doesn't work to try to make your own way in a religious life. The religious impulse is to condemn the sinner and to set up a religious system, but not necessarily to live a life in relationship with God. And the wrath of God is revealed against this as well. And it's encouraging to us to note that Jesus Christ, our Lord, does not operate according to either of these models of life. He certainly isn't giving himself over to to kind of the appetites in life, to our earthly passions. And he certainly isn't the one who is considered to be the religious guy who came and set up a religious system. The religious people couldn't stand him. Jesus Christ doesn't operate in either one of these two manners. You should see this as you read the gospel. The gospels, he was a friend of sinners, but he didn't live according to the same means. And the religious people didn't know what to do with him. And eventually they decided what to do with him. Chapter 3 then turns to, in chapter 3, verse 21, to this saying, okay, this is, this is the picture as we present it. If, if humans try to get to God, if humanity tries to get to God, the wrath of God is revealed against all of this unrighteousness. And chapter 3, verse 21, which will then outline, begin the outline in the rest of the book of Romans, will say, but... God, or but now, a righteousness from God has been revealed. So you don't have to live according to one of these two ways. A righteousness from God has been revealed in Jesus Christ. And by faith in Jesus Christ, we can know this righteousness. God himself took on sin and became righteousness in Jesus Christ, so that by faith in Jesus we can know the righteousness of God, we can know life. The declaration for this gospel is that God has not turned away from people, rather towards them. God has not turned away from you or that, people, or that person that you so fear is lost. And chapter 4 then outlines an illustration of this by taking uh, the... the the biggest of the patriarchs, the first, Abram, Abraham, and saying, even, Abra- even Abraham lived according to faith. He believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And a key uh, consideration of the book of Romans will be to put the law, which does matter, the law and faith in proper perspective, beginning with an outline of who Abraham was and how he trusted in God. Chapter 5, before we get to our chapter for today, is basically looking at Adam and Jesus. First Adam and second Adam in some description. 
Sin came into the world through Adam, through one man, is the argument. And we are heirs of Adam. In other words, we're sinners. But Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, has come a recreation. If sin came through Adam, and for me, as I read Romans, there's a lot of verses that I like and memorize. Romans chapter 8, right? We are more than conquerors. Uh, All these things, like nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ our Lord for the wages of sin. There's a lot of memory stuff in here. But for me, in my spiritual life, the the ringing words of Romans are from chapter 5 when when chapter 5 says, if this is the way it was in Adam, then how much more in Christ? If it was death in Adam, then how much more are you offered life and salvation in Jesus Christ, the one who lives and reigns forever and ever. How much more? You can't count. So that's where we are with a little interlude for a couple of weeks before Easter and Easter Sunday. And the timing now for people like me who plan sermon series is perfect because over the next five weeks leading up to camp, the question becomes, what does it mean to live life in the Spirit? Or what does it mean to live in the light of the resurrection? Jesus died. He has defeated sin and death. But Jesus has been raised from the dead. And the argument of this chapter as it's read and as you read it over yourselves is that this is not only an historical event. It's going to, it's going to present that this is a, an historical event. Jesus died and was raised from the dead. But it becomes something in which we share. You sang it this morning. And if the Holy Spirit is working in your life and you're able to, doesn't mean you have to feel just what the person beside you feel or sing just what they, uh, how they sing. But you sang this morning, Christ has risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake. That's the call. This life in the Spirit. It's not only an historical event, but it becomes something in which we share in this life. So that as I later this afternoon, I'm standing on the sidelines of my kids' uh, ultimate games. uh, I am seeing myself in a different way than I would if I didn't have faith in Jesus Christ. I am not, this is not only something that happened, this is something that exists in my life as well. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this chapter is going to say, here's what it means. We have, and you can't just think of it as, as individual, by the way. So many things in the New Testament are plural. They have to be shared with the church, with other people. So hear this, people. So this is a, actually, this is a good plus for you because sometimes you just don't feel this. Well, that's okay. We are the church together. And, and what Romans is going to say is, we have died with Christ, but we have been raised with Christ. This is not only an historical event. It is something in which we, as a body, this church and other churches, other Christians, we participate in this in the world. And that's the emphasis of this text. Chapter 6 starts with a question. Well, if Jesus defeats, this is drawing from chapter 5 and before, if Jesus defeats sin and through Through this, he shows love and grace, even where sin is abounding. Shouldn't we just sin more? It's a wonderful question for a five-year-old. What's troubling is that this is still sometimes the way that the world can operate or in our faith. And the question is anticipated in the book of Romans, and the answer is hollered. It's in one way the, the loudest yelling in the book of Romans. 
If Jesus defeats all sin, and so no matter how much sin there is, Adam, sin, sin, and more sin, but Jesus is more and greater than Adam, how much more, then shouldn't we just sin more? Because then this gets greater? And the answer is in Romans chapter 6, and it's a little stronger language. It says, God forbid! Are you... What? I'm preaching, so I'll keep the... But that's the language here. Do you understand what you're talking about? This is the person who um, Brian Felly and others go for nice hikes and walks. You go somewhere, they probably know the woods and all the paths, but the rest, you know, some of the rest of us have to look at the sign and see where the path leads. And you go, you park your car, you come up to the little uh, covering, and there's the map there, and you're going to walk for two and a half hours or four and a half hours or whatever it is. And uh, you look, and it says you are here, and it's right by the parking lot. And you know that trail's leading up to this top of a peak, and there's a vista there. And you take that hike, and you get there, and you see this expansive view in front of you, and maybe you're overcome. And then someone says, you know what we should do? We should stay back by the sign, because the sign tells us how to get here. What are you talking about? I mean, it's a, it's a poor example because that's your own effort of walking and your own. Multiply that by a thousand times and say, if you know the expansive life in Jesus Christ, why would you ever sit there in that other place? You don't get it. You don't understand. God forbid. All along, this was the intention. A life of freedom and joy, and abundance, wholeness in Jesus Christ. Trust, a new creation. And if you want to go back there, well, you must never have understood it. Instead, and this is what the chapter is going to say, instead of offering yourself, your body, to sin, your life to sin and unrighteousness, offer yourself to God. Offer yourselves to God. So I could stop here and say this to you. Just simply try this each day. Each morning, pray a prayer. Heavenly, Heavenly Father, this morning, I offer myself to you, my life. Now, this is more than a moral exercise. And churches and religious people sometimes present this as a moral exercise. You could do something bad, but why don't you do something good instead? That's okay, but it's not life in Christ. Offering yourself to God means offering yourself to the living Savior, the one who is alive, that you would be attentive to the presence of Jesus Christ in this world, to the power of the Holy Spirit, and you would say, what would you have me do today? How would you have me treat other people? How would you have me trust in you? Because mostly I trust in myself or in money or whatever else it is. And, and Romans is going to say, instead of thinking that way, offer yourselves to God. Two key concepts to as we uh, use this sermon to kind of jump off to the rest for before we get to camp. Two key concepts to show you are, number one, a new person, and number two, a living faith. A new, the new person. I, I'm going to offer you. Uh, sometimes when I think of illustrations, I, I, I justify them in my mind by saying, "Well, I, in Christ, I'm going to take all thoughts captive." And this this uh, week, I heard a news story of a of a surgeon, a plastic surgeon who killed himself. Did you hear this story? 
This was a, um, um, this is a, was a man in the United States named Dr. Frederick Brandt. And uh, he is a plastic surgeon to the stars. Makes a ton of money. And has clearly uh, undergone some of the procedures himself. So I don't, I mean, the picture is going to be a bit striking to you. And you don't have to react and try not to react out loud. Um, but when, when there's too many procedures or whatever it is, you can get that look. Uh, and I'm, I'm putting it side by side. I'm intentionally not changing the slide right now. Some of you have watched a show, uh, the new Tina Fey show called The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. It's on Netflix. And Martin Short did, played a plastic surgeon on one of the episodes of this show. I didn't know about Frederick Brandt, but he was clearly kind of making fun of that doctor who all the celebrities would have known. This is um, the two of them side by side. The, the silly, the joke character is in the white coat, and the actual person is, is there in the black coat, Dr. Frederick Brandt. On the show, uh, Martin Short played this character. You couldn't understand a word he was saying. His, he was Dr. something Grant, but it was pronounced, Grant was pronounced Fruf, because he couldn't, couldn't say words anymore. Um, and it was funny. But this past week, the real doctor, 65 years old, Dr. Frederick Grant, or Brandt, killed himself. Struggled with depression, anxiety, and was apparently devastated by this mockery of him, though his friends are careful to say it wasn't because of that. Um, so I, I tell you this because I can picture conversations that would be in that man's office and I would be willing to say, it's speculation, but I would be willing to say that on more than one occasion he would use terms like, there can be a new you. This will be the new you. With hope and promise. And, and sometimes great people can go through these things and find confidence they didn't have before. It's, but what's, in, what's striking, obviously, about this case is that one of the individuals who was selling this and participating in it, not saying he was disingenuous, but clearly struggled in his own life with ever finding the peace that the so-called new you would bring. The world, and this is an extreme example, but the world is consistently offering the new you. If you just do this, if you just get this, there's that current ad right now with a young man standing in front of it. it's either a Prius or a truck, and everybody's like, the guy in front of the truck is way better. I mean, that's the way humans think. Until he opens his mouth, you've got to eventually talk to him, I would think. The new you. People pay large amounts of money for this promise. In so many places in our world, this is the promise of a job, of our appearance, fitness, or money. It may work temporarily, but as in stark terms the life and death of Dr. Brandt show, so many of these things can be empty and without substance. The Christian gospel declares in a different way. We'll get to that a little bit today, but mostly in the weeks ahead. Hear this. Now, you could hear it after plastic surgery. You could hear it after something else. The Christian gospel declares that when you have faith in Christ, here's what happens. You have been made new. You're a new creation. Not by a procedure or an idea or a program, but here's how. Not by religion, not by a new moral code, 
You have been made new by death and resurrection. Full stop. The Christian gospel is about transformation. I hesitate to use the word transformation because it's another word that's been co-opted by marketing and advertising categories of earthly success. Christian thinking of been made new is Mary and Peter when we talked about them seeing the risen Christ. Mary and Peter being brought back to life, but not just back to life, being brought to new life. Renewed and transformed. The fundamental template, paradigm, and model of the Christian gospel, get those guys off of there, is, hear this, not good and bad. That's not a fundamental template for understanding the gospel. It's not right and wrong. It's not success and failure. The template to understand the Christian gospel is and always will be death and resurrection. The hope of the gospel and the promise is that all things are made new in Christ. This is the declaration of faith. Now, whether you believe that or not, I can't convince you. That's, it's never been my work anyway. It's up to the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that I'm going to seek to do a terrible job of speaking. But I know that the only way in which you know that all things are made new in Christ is by faith. And even you can't conjure that up. But you ask. We have to ask. Now this is also the very character of God. That's why we hear promises even in the midst of great turmoil in, in the book of Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. You say to me, well, God's the same today, yesterday, and forever. Yeah, He is. And you know what one of His attributes is? He's always new. That's the same. Well, you, so just try to figure that out. Thanks be to God. Except we've got it figured out if we look at Jesus Christ who says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I was reading an article this week, I think in Harper's Magazine, a little essay on, it's kind of a commentary on the Catholic Church, and saying, how come the Catholic Church isn't dead yet? There was a Catholic man who was writing this, and a little bit of reflection on the current Pope, and, and he knows some of the long history of the Catholic Church, the longest surviving institution in the Western world, and he said, why, after such times of corruption and excess, and lining up with the state, and even being part of killing people, and some terrible things, and all kinds of, and some good and some bad, and why hasn't this institution died? And it's G.K. Chesterton, a, a writer from a number of years ago, uh, I won't tell you, an interesting man, Catholic in, in his uh, denomination. Uh, and, and he says that the church, he's not now just talking about the Catholic church, but I think he was thinking of that, it's not simply, it doesn't simply adapt and shift and try to, you know, about you and about now. But the church, properly understood, he said, is about dying and coming back to life. And so it's him who put it this way, Chesterton. He said, Christianity has died many times and risen again, for it has a God who knew the way out of the grave. It's about death and resurrection in your life too. And as I say, I can't convince you of this, but I can relate to you in some way. And through my own faith, my own experience, I can't convince you, but I can invite you into this faith and say, put, I'm saying this to Christians and non-Christians, by the way, put your faith in Jesus Christ and know the life that's in him.
And it can't change anything for you. You're going to go to the same places that you went to, you know, well, maybe not some of you, depending on what those places are. But let's say you're kind of, you know. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd still be going to my kids' games this afternoon. I am a Christian. I'm going. Some of you are like, Sabbath. Well, anyway, we'll talk later. It's my work day there. Um, I'm still the same place, same people, same. But everything's changed for me. My faith in Jesus Christ. The, the wind is different. The, the, the trees are different. What I'm watching is different. I don't have to look down on anybody else, but I am brought to life. There's a living faith. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and you'll be made a new creation. That is the second of our two notes is that this is a living faith. And I just want to mention this. We'll talk about it more in weeks ahead. But this text is going to declare, does declare, we have died with Christ, but we have been raised with Christ. Using, using the, uh, the model of baptism, which by the way, if you haven't been baptized, you should be baptized. Why? Because some great spiritual thing happens to you. Sometimes it does, but mostly not. But you're baptized because it's an identification in front of the rest of the church, in front of the people here that you have identified with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a way of saying, I put my faith and my hope in Jesus Christ. It's not anything that makes you different than before, but it is something that the Holy Spirit blesses. And it is something that is commanded in our scriptures. So it's going to use baptism in this text to say, we have died with Christ, but we have been raised with Christ. And I want you to note something very important and key in Christian faith. Again, it's a big idea that I can just tell you, and I have to hope that you experience in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the idea is this. We are not, or the concept is this, we are not following an idea in this Christian faith. We are not being spurred on by someone who was inspirational when alive, but is now dead and gone. There are very many examples, great examples of this in life. You can look at somebody like Gandhi. You can look at Martin Luther King. You can look at other people who've had great influence. They were alive and they're dead now and they're inspirational to other people. That is not the way in which we follow Jesus Christ, at least not in Christian understanding. Some of you have been trying to live the Christian faith with that kind of understanding, like Jesus is a good model and he used to exist and now, you know, we are not merely living according to a philosophy. We were singing it before. Christ has risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake. The Christian declaration is this. Jesus Christ is alive. At the right hand of the Father. And so when you pray to Jesus, when you pray to God, you pray to the Holy Spirit, you're not praying to something that used to exist or that was inspirational or even thinking back to your own loved ones who can set examples for you while they're alive. And some of you have heroes who have gone on from this life. Jesus Christ is alive. It changes everything for us. What this means is that you are to seek to live your life in the light of the resurrection, not simply emulating and learning and shaping your life according to his, which you do, you do take up those tasks, but you do them in a living relationship so that I'm riding my bike and I'm caught up in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, be with me here in this place. May I know your presence now. 
And the question then, as we offer ourselves to God at the direction of this task, of this text, the question, dear God, what would you have me do today? It doesn't mean you don't have a job and career or school or responsibilities. It means that in the midst of all of those things, parenting, you know, everything, dear God, what would you have me do today? And listen to the voice of the living God who will lead you and guide you. I can't convince you. I can invite you. But I trust God. And I trust God because I know that Jesus Christ is alive. If the gospel is true, then any anxiety over its victory is unnecessary. Christian fear in this way is like an oxymoron. Jesus died for you, but Jesus lives. And this is what shows that God is for humanity. Not simply that sin has been defeated. He didn't defeat sin and then leave us on our own. Rather, Jesus Christ died, but now, by His resurrection, we can be in a living relationship with Father and Son. And this is by the power of the Holy Spirit, a relationship in Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And so the only question to ask for each of us, we ask individually, but we also ask together, do you know this resurrected life? And I mean, you can't go to CrossFit or whatever new program there is and and get the five steps to know the resurrected life. And really great Christian people love marketing systems. The the thing is, they all come and go. They all come and go. And there's no system in in the New Testament for how to do it. We always invent them. Because it's, it's just this. Heavenly Father, I want to live in the light of the resurrection of my Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. Pray. And be open to the reality that it will be, the Holy Spirit will be made manifest in our lives in a myriad of ways. You don't have to be just like that person across from you or beside you. There are no experts in this life. None. There are only people who know this life, this resurrected life. And when you see them, if you're looking for it, when you see them, you know. So there's many models to follow. We have great giants who've gone before us. But may we pray this prayer that we would live in the light of the resurrection. And thanks be to God, we have a whole bunch of of Romans here, this book that remains coming up to teach us more and more about what that means. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, I sometimes think in my life why you didn't choose, I mean, even a church like this size and our little community church, and why didn't you choose someone more religious? Um, like why... Why am I speaking, declaring your truth? And I want to declare your truth. And the answer that I come up with, and, and 
it makes you know doesn't uh, it's not a lot to brag in it let's put it this way why why this way and the answer I come up with is because I believe and I would pray for each one here today that they would put their faith in you that we together would put our faith in you Lord Jesus Christ and know what it means to live in the abundant life of the resurrection. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.